We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, RBC Heritage 2020 DraftKings Picks in preview. Remember, everyone out there, smash the like button. You got to do that. Also, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast and leave a five-star review. I mean, you can just leave a five-star rating if you'd like. That takes like three seconds. If you want to leave the review, that takes like 30 seconds. So I recommend everyone go do that as you should play in the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Open. The link is in the show notes to the video and podcast. There's only around like 500 spots left right now. This is on a Tuesday early afternoon. So if you don't get it right now, you're not going to get into the tournament. So I suggest you go get your spot right now, even if you don't fill out your teams. I suggest you go do it right now. No rake, best tournament on DraftKings, flat payout. And if we fill it super quickly, which it's getting pretty close, we can make it bigger. So I suggest... Everyone out there do that. Also, if you want to get the full stats, lineup generators, uh, all the best customizable tools in the business, fantasynational.com slash Mayo, M-A-Y-O. Get yourself 20% off. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's having a good time researching on Fantasy National, so I suggest you go try that out. You can get the weekly, the monthly, the yearly. Even if you just want to dip the toe in with the weekly, get your 20% off that, too, by using the code Mayo. Uh, So let's go do that. The other big thing... For today, there's a new contest, new giveaway at DraftKings. So for the Millionaire Maker this week, they just released this to me, so I'm still trying to gather it all in. If you enter multiple lineups in the Millionaire Maker before 3 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, that would be June 17th, You have the shot at more tickets. This one is tied to Justin Thomas. Now, you don't need to play Justin Thomas in your lineups for this to happen. So if you enter two lineups in the Millionaire Maker and Justin Thomas finishes inside the top five, you get a free $3 ticket. If you enter three to four lineups in the Millionaire Maker and Justin Thomas finishes inside the top 20, you get a free $10 ticket from DraftKings. If you enter five or more lineups and Justin Thomas simply makes the cut, you get a free $20 ticket 
ticket on DraftKings, which I guess would just supply you with another Millionaire Maker ticket for the future. Now, if Justin Thomas withdraws for any sort of reason, then just sub out his name and sub in Rory McIlroy. Again, you wouldn't need to use Rory in your lineup. It would just depend on where he finishes. So that's a new giveaway offer from DraftKings. I will be hosting a live chat Wednesday, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, DraftKings YouTube, on Twitter, and on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash thepme. So if you got questions, save them for then. I feel like I got other stuff to talk to. If you want the DraftKings cheat sheet, it'll be out Tuesday evening on DraftKingsPlaybook.com. If you hit the description of the video, you can find yesterday's show, the research show, my column. It's all up there right now. Ben Raza was originally scheduled to be on the show, but for the second time in two weeks, we are having problems any time we try to contact Ben Raza, and it breaks my entire studio. So it's just going to be me today. I do want to pass along that... The only thing Ben texted me is he just said, hey, just tell everyone that I think that Ian Poulter is going to win. I wasn't even thinking about Ian Poulter. So now, I gotta, now that Raza has talked me into him, he did me good by Bud Colley last week, the only one of my 6K guys to get through. So it's just going to be me riding solo for today. So we'll see how that ends up going. I think I got to everything. Uh, Paul's behind the camera, so he may chime in from time to time. I don't know if he's going to do that or not, but if I need someone to bounce stuff off of, that's where I'm going to play. So let's just get straight into the pricing. Rory McIlroy leads everyone off as the highest priced player this week. He is $11,300. He's followed by Justin Thomas at 10.9, Bryson at 10.7, Rom at 10.5, Xander 10.2, Morikawa $10,000. The way that the pricing is structured this week for you know, just trying to uh, trying to get as many people as possible to play into the Millionaire Maker this week, it's a bit soft because once you go down a little bit, you'll find there are very capable names in the low $7,000 area, allowing you to build one of these super studs lines with two of these guys above $10,000. Or if you just want to dip into like the low nines and eights, you can build a team of regularly priced $10,000 players. Now, these guys are not playing well, but when you can jam like Brooks, DJ, Webb, Ricky, and let's see, Day and Finau all into the same lineup, it's like, huh, I wonder if I'm going to do that. I probably won't end up doing that because I think that's going to be a pretty popular build this week. In terms of overall ownership, we're going to know more when I do the show tomorrow uh, at 1230. So... It does strike me as no one wants to play John Rahm this week. Maybe I have a very bad read on that, but you know, some people are talking about, oh, this is going to be a Rory rebound week, and you got to keep rolling with Justin Thomas. you got to keep rolling with Xander, and Morikawa's never missed a cut on tour that Rahm is the one, and everyone's just playing Bryson because everyone's all in on Bryson now. We had our shot last week at the lower ownership. I don't think that's going to happen again, but Rahm just seems to be the one that could be left by the wayside. He's a bit down in price. He is coming off a missed cut. He's never played here before. I wouldn't worry about players never having played Harbortown in the past. We've seen a few first-time winners over the past 10 years. Like Wes Bryant had never played this before, and Wes Bryant ended up winning. In terms of overall skill set, the one big difference that we're going to see between Harbortown and Colonial, generally a pretty similar tracks in the way that we the way that they play, although the field strength, obviously, much like last week, because it's basically all the same people again, and now we add Hideki Matsuyama into the mix, is that you know, we used to look for the shorter-hitting, precise iron players. But last week, uh, especially as evidenced by Xander and Bryson, these guys were just going to town on the dog legs on the par fours and just cutting everything off. It's much more difficult to do that on the par fours at Harbortown, a Pete Dye design, that there are forced layups. You don't want to hit into the gully. So you have to ease up 
in a landing area because you can't go any further. You're going to be out of bounds or have to take a drop. So I would actually think that the skill sets of the shorter hitting players play more to the advantage of Harbortown than they did Colonial, despite what we'd seen in the past. So for here, off the tee is going to matter. There's many ways that you can tackle a golf course. You gain six strokes off the tee, you're probably going to have a pretty good week. However, I would rely on the hot iron players and just really hammer down with that. So back to these top guys. Uh, I can, I'm trying to talk myself into either Rory or Morikawa. As we go along, I'm trying to decide which one of those two, if any, that I really want to jump in. Because Justin Thomas is going to be my guy at $10,900. A very poor putting round in the closeout to Colonial. But other than that, he had been absolutely firing. He was he gained seven strokes on approach at Colonial. I'm hoping this hurts his ownership just a little. I'm not really sure how that's going to play out, but I don't really care uh, as long as he's not like 45% owned, which he's not going to be, and I can make him work in my lineups. Uh, Out of all of these top six guys, Justin Thomas is going to be the one for me. He has a bunch of wins on Bermuda. He's won Honda. He's won at Sony. I would think that Honda, in terms of a forced layup type of venue, that's what we see a little bit more guys dialing it a little bit back off the tee, relying on their irons. And there's a lot of water at that course, so people are going to be inconsistent year to year, but we've seen a lot of crossover success between those three tracks in the past. Also, the RSM Classic. None of the good players ever play at the RSM on Sea Island, but that is one that has shown substantial crossover value uh, amongst the mid-tier and lower tiers if you're looking for sleepers, that kind of thing. So Justin Thomas is going to be the guy for me at the very top end. Then we drop down into the $9,000 area. And we run through a bunch of fantastic names. We've got Im at 9-7. He leads off the $9,000 area. Then it's Hideki, Rose, and Webb Simpson down at $9,000. Webb screwed me so, so badly last week. And I've mentioned it on Sunday show, on Monday show. A lot of that had to do with a very poor first round. Now, if he has another poor first round this time, he's also not going to make the cut. But where... Where the irons actually resurfaced and he continued to lose strokes putting. Now, this is a guy who's second on tour in strokes game putting over the last 50 rounds. And as evidence that the guy who's second in putting can actually lose three strokes on the green through two rounds because that happens with putting. Hopefully, back on Bermuda grass, his preferred putting style, we get Webb back to a point where he's making five-foot putts again. And if the irons are all the way back and he can continue to tread water off the tee, I'm back in on Webb. Now, I was really hoping that people would be so scorned by Webb Simpson that they would not use him at all this week, but the early indicators on ownership percentages just showed that people were going right back to Webb. I myself am going to do the same thing. Uh, If you want to just play a chalk fade, completely understand. If you don't want to go back to the Webb well, I like him at this discounted price. I like him coming off the bad week. So hopefully he can get his shit together and figure it out and make the weekend, get that putter hot again, make it work a little bit. So I like Webb. And the other guy in the $9,000 range that I like is Sungjae. Sungjae just across the board is so ultra consistent. He's almost becoming Korean Matt Kuchar at this point where all of a sudden you just look at the leaderboard from last week and be like, huh, Sungjae came 10th. So if he just gets to the weekend, he's going to fire one of these like super rounds on Saturday or Sunday, even if he's out of it, to drag himself back up the leaderboard. He's currently the FedEx Cup leader. I have a bet on Sungjae. He's dropped to 28, but you can still find him in 33 to 1 in some spots. And there's nothing that he really does poorly. Like the approaches are the worst part of his game. And I know that I mentioned that that is the most key stat that you can have this week, but it's really weird round to round. And when he doesn't have the irons working, all of a sudden his short game pops up and he starts making 15 foot putts. He just cobbles together these rounds. And if you can get, you know, two or maybe two is 
probably not enough. Three good iron rounds at a four from Sungjae. All of a sudden, he's going to be in contention to win. But again, a lot like Webb, these are the courses that you want to take Sungjae at. Almost any course you want to take Sungjae at, but short Bermuda-type tracks are where Sungjae has played really well throughout the course of his career. Hideki is going to be really interesting. I'm not sure about the sentiment around him, whether people are going to use Hideki or not. Obviously, he didn't play last week at Colonial. This is his first start since the break. Uh, he had been playing really well, second tee to green over the past 24 rounds of any player in this field. We know that he's capable uh, at running away with one of these tournaments, but he hasn't won since 2017 at this point. The approach has been fantastic. The off-the-tee stuff has been a bit wonky, and we know that all of a sudden that he can just go minus nine on the greens. That wouldn't be super shocking. But I think that if I was going to go with, you know, if it's between Rose and Matsuyama, like, it's for me, it's M, then it's Webb power rankings wise in this 9k area and if i'm only going to use justin thomas from up in the 10k area he's almost eleven thousand. then i probably can't have anyone else in the 10ks if i want to build lineups with thomas and one of these guys or two of these guys if i want to go superstars and scrubs or just start in the 9k i would go rose over matsuyama i know that rose struggled a little bit with the irons but that came around in the final round at colonial uh and the putter just went away a little bit after being really hot through three rounds but i was very encouraged they hit so many fairways he really had command of the ball off the tee, which is really something that I wanted to see from Justin Rose. So I think that instead of going with another 10K guy or potentially two more 8K guys to add into my player pool, Justin Rose, M, and Webb play three of the four 9K guys. And then I feel like my lineups are going to be a tiny bit different than everyone else's if that's the way I want to build. Even if you went M, Rose, Webb to start off your teams, avoided the 8K range, and dropped straight into the 7s, that would be another unique way to inherit some of the chalk and the high ownership of these guys in the 9K area, but have a unique build, so all of a sudden it's not that big of a deal. So, again, M, Webb, Rose, fading Hideki for me this time around this week. 8K range players it's starting to get interesting right now because i tried to do the uh, the super sharp pat's super sneaky doesn't work out plays of the week uh, from <laughs> colonial i really wanted to go in and shane lowry i did he missed the cut went in on louis and matthew fitzpatrick they made the cut but didn't fucking do anything when it came around to the weekend and if i had just taken spieth or reed all of a sudden i would have been looking good so the entire eight thousand area kicks off with last week's winner daniel berger a good pete die player by the way and the ownership right now looks like people are not going back to daniel berger at his eighty nine hundred dollar price tag after that it's reed spieth brooks DJ Woodland Kucher, who's won at this course before. Finau at $8,200. Expect him to be uber popular because people like playing Tony Finau to begin with. Can put an $8,200 price tag next to him. People are going to be in on that price. Ricky Fowler, $8,100. Abraham Answer, $8,000. Along with Terrell Atten, who's looking for back-to-back wins. Last time we saw Terrell, he was winning the Arnold Palmer Invitational and padding our wallets a little bit with that win at the 66-to-1 price tag. He's now 55-to-1 this week. The Irons have been super hot. Again, he did not play a week ago at the Charles Schwab Challenge, but if this is a situation where he can continue striking the ball as well as he was, the Irons have been so hot. This is a really nice venue for someone like Hatton. Get that putter rolling hot on the Bermuda Greens like we saw at API. And he's going to be a pretty good play. So I'm trying to figure out what I want to do in the 8K range. In my mind, I should just play Patrick Reed. But when you look at him, (laughs) look at the stats. He's essentially become a better iron version of what we think Jordan Spieth is. Like, 
Last week at Charles Schwab, gained 7.1 strokes putting. Number one in putting over the past 24 rounds. Uh, at API, 2.5 strokes putting. In WGC Mexico, when he won, almost 12 strokes putting. In any of those past three tournaments, which include a 7th, a 1st, and a 15th, he hasn't gained more than two strokes on approach. And that's really the key factor. Now, he's gained in each of his past six, so that's good. Uh, and that even includes when he missed the cut at Sony. But sustaining that level of putting is just so hard to do that I think Reed's finally going to be popular this week I'll throw in a fade I'm not going back to Spieth either despite the fact that he had the good week a lot of that again was just putting related we know that both of those guys can keep that up Dustin Johnson is a really interesting one he was the 54 hole leader at this course he's an RBC guy so he tends to have history here uh, at Harbor Town, he plays it every single year due to sponsorship obligation. Shot 77 in the final round, which allowed Scott Piercy and Matt Kuchar and obviously C.T. Pan to storm the leaderboard, end up winning. I'm not sure what I want to do with him. He was okay in round one, then a disaster in round two at Colonial. i just like to see more. We know in terms of DraftKings golf that you always want to be a week early on a guy rather than a week late and if it's a wait and see approach you want to take with a Brooks or a Ricky or a Dustin then you're going to miss out on the week when you really should have them when they go off and they're super low owned that's how you end up winning these giant tournaments I just don't know out of those three guys that I just mentioned Brooks would be the play to me but so much of him on the weekend and making the cut at Charles Schwab was due to that hot putter now He's played well at some shorter courses in the past. Uh, we've seen him pop up at St. Jude, didn't end up winning. He played well at Byron Nelson back at the old course. That was another shorter one. Uh, and he's played well at Honda, ended up losing to Keith Mitchell last year, a shorter Bermuda-style course. So I think bang for your buck out of all of these guys, Brooks is probably the play, but I don't even know if I can get there. I think... I'm going to go with Gary Woodland once again. I was so disappointed in the way that he played on Sunday. But again, shorter course. We like Gary at shorter courses where he can club down. He's actually gained on the greens, weirdly enough, in four consecutive events. I can't even remember the last time that actually happened. It was actually leading up to his win at the Waste Management two years ago in 2018. He went... Gained at Sony, gained at Farmers, gained in Phoenix, and then gained the next week in two weighted rounds at Pebble Beach was the last time he gained consecutively. I don't see one marking on Fantasy National for him gaining in five consecutive events, so maybe everything regresses back to his norm in terms of being a really bad putter, which, if we look long-term, over his past 20 tournaments, he loses strokes on the green. Over his past 200 tournaments, he loses strokes on the green. Over his last five, he's gaining 1.2 strokes per event. Very atypical of Gary, but hey, maybe he figured something out. I don't know. The approaches are where it's at, though. Gained 8.8 on approach last week, despite a horrendous stretch in that final round. At Honda, uh, before the break, 7.6, 1.5 in Mexico, 4.3 in Phoenix. I think I'm going to take another shot with Gary. I don't want to change up too much from what I did last week. If it wasn't for Webb and Lowry, like, I, I didn't win a bunch of money on DraftKings last week, but I also didn't lose. Like When I looked at my Millionaire Maker stretch, I was in for 20 lineups of so $400. I believe I got 290 back, and you can easily see. Here are my web teams and Lowry teams together that were way out of the cash. The web teams without Lowry finished out of the cash. All the other lineups did pretty well. Like Gary had a good week. He ended up coming eighth, so I do like Gary Woodland a little bit. I think he'll be my play at 8400 bucks, and I'm Honestly, Hatton would probably be the next guy for me at 8,000. If I'm going to go up and use Rose and use three of those 9K guys, probably have to make the decision to pass over a lot of this range. And even if you wanted to fill up your entire team of these 8K guys, I mean, it's a legit looking team on paper. So I wouldn't really, you know, 
dissuade you from doing that if you have strong convictions. I just don't have strong convictions about any of these guys. They all seem the same to me, and they seem lesser than than the guys in the $9,000 range. So in the 8K range, Woodland for sure, probably Hatton. Maybe by tomorrow when I do the chat, I'll have talked myself into someone else. But hey, for now... I'm trying to condense my player pool down as small as possible, so I don't want to just start adding guys for the sake of adding them, and that's the way that we're going to go. Let's move on to the upper 7Ks. Uh, and a quick note, at $7,800, Scotty Scheffler has withdrawn from this tournament, so don't use old Scotty. They're not replacing players because of the new invite rules and keeping the bubble together for the PGA Tour. So with Kevin Na's withdrawal, with Scotty Scheffler's withdrawal, we're down to 152 players in the field, which if you look at course history this week, uh, you'll notice that this is generally a 124, 136. There's like 20 or 30 more more people in the tournament this week. And with the shrunken cut line rules down from top 70 to top 65 in ties, fewer players are going to make the cut at Harbortown than any other year that we've ever experienced. So when you see a couple of these guys that snuck in on the line and made some moves on the weekend in previous years, those guys are now cut when it comes down to it. So just keep that in mind that we're going to see a lot of, I think last week in the Millionaire Maker, 4.5% of all lineups had six of six players through. I would expect to see the same thing, especially you have one web who misses the cut. All of a sudden, it throws everything at a whack. Six of the top 10 players in terms of ownership a week ago at the Charles Schwab missed the cut. So if you just want to go full fate of the chalk guys, now some of the other ones did really well. So we can throw that into the loop too, that you have to pick and choose the right people as always, but just fading the overwhelming chalk tends to be a good move. I don't have the guts to do that because I'm a bad player, but if you want to be a good player, you probably should do that. So the upper sevens, Matthew Fitzpatrick, who has always stated he plays so well, he loves Harbor Town, and on paper should shape up really well for him. Has never really played well here, so I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. But he's seventy nine hundred dollars, as is last week's darling in the Millionaire Maker winning lineup. Jason Kokrak stormed on Sunday here last year with for a nice finish. Brennan Grace, former winner, is seventy eight hundred, as is Shane Lowry, who was T three at Harbor Town a year ago. Kisner, Louis, Horschel, seventy seven hundred. Ben Raz's boy, Ian Poulter at 76, uh, Big Dick Vic at 76, along with Jason Day, JT Poston, Brant Snedeker, who skipped last week to focus on this week, Ben Ann, and Joel Damon all come in at $7,500. Trying to parse this out a little bit in this area, I, I'm really having a tough time grasping where the ownership is going to come from here. It strikes me as that people are going to play Kisner. People are probably going to play Poulter and people are probably going to play Joel Damon coming off a really good week. And we shorten the course a little bit. People like to go back to Damon. If people aren't going to play Ben Ann, sign me up for some Ben Ann's. These are some of the smallest greens on the PGA Tour. So what does that tell us? Well, if you miss the green, I mean, you want to be hitting as many greens in regulation as possible, then it's not that big of a deal. But if you miss, you need to have a short game. Ben Ann, he has a short game. That's good news. And it's really hard to three-putt from small greens. I'm sure if anyone can do it, it's probably Ben Ann or Corey Connors, whoever it is. But if we're not dealing with a lot of lag putting, we've seen Ben Ann play really well at Pete Dye courses in the past. Uh, we've even, even seen him get a hot putter at Sawgrass in the past. So I think I'm willing to go back in after fading Ben Ann last week. I think I'm going to be back on the train. And even if you look at him weekend, he broke Torcast with how poorly he played one hole on Saturday. I believe he made a nine on a par five or an eight on a par four. Wasn't great news for my guy, Ben Ann, but I think DraftKings-wise at 7,500, good price. 
So you can probably roll with him this week. The other guys, I'll probably go back with a very minuscule amount of Shane Lowry because I'm a glutton for punishment. He did gain off the tee and through approach last week and lost almost five strokes putting in two rounds. He's an inconsistent player, and this is what we're going to see. But we know the elevated upside that Lowry has if he can string together four rounds. He's one of the best in the world when that happens. He's still a top 20 player in the world ranking. So I'm not going to completely give up on the guy just yet. So I'll probably go back to him. Billy Hobag at 7,700. Didn't like all what I saw from him at Colonial, but at his best, when we just kind of bring up Billy Horschel's track record, has been inconsistent, but has played well over the hole at Heritage in the past. Gained three and a half strokes off the tee last week. A lot of that had to do with hitting fairways, which is going to be good. Lost on approach, lost on putting, still came 38th. So if he can round back into the form he had previously coming in to the break where he had gained on approaches in four consecutive events, I have no problem going back to Billy Horschel. Better putter on Bermuda than he is on bent grass as well. So that's always something to note when we look at some of this stuff. So I like him. Victor Victor Hovland is really the difficult one for me to figure out. Uh, I like his skill set, especially for this course. It's a lot like the muted version of Morikawa. Morikawa is really taking that leap into being such an excellent ball striker. We know Hovland isn't that far behind. He's going, I mean, he's fourth in ball striking. Uh, strokes gain that is off the tee plus approach over the past 24 rounds of any player in this field. Guy struggles a little bit week to week putting, and he has absolutely no game around the greens so if it's a situation where he continues to miss greens and regulation he is going to be absolutely fucked if not then Vic is probably going to be a pretty good play and if you're going to skip over most of the eight thousand dollar area this is a spot where you can probably go to some guys so those two Lowry Horschel and then on for me I mean Lowry's more of a wild card you can take him off the board if you feel uncomfortable with him I think the quote-unquote safer guys if such a thing exists would be on and then you would have uh, Billy Horschel, and then Hovland. The wild card for me in there is Lowry. I'll probably end up fading Kisner again this week. I'll probably fade Poston. I think there's just a lot of similar players to JT Poston who come at a cheaper price, and if he's going to be popular, it's an easy pivot for me to get off of him. So when we drop into the lower $7,000 area, tons of names here. Um, Bubba Watson's going to be really interesting. I'm really hoping that he has one of these weeks where he gains a bunch off the tee, gains a bunch on approaches, and loses like 25 strokes putting so I can deploy him next week at the Bubba track at the Travelers, another Pete Dye course. Connors should shape up well for this course. Again, the small green should really help him out. He's only $7,400. Kevin Na has withdrawn at 73. And now for the Pat Mayo Super Galaxy Brain Plays of the Week. We have one, Sergio Garcia, $7,300. What am I doing playing Sergio? Is it because I'm a fucking moron? Probably. No one's going to be using Sergio, but the ball striking isn't completely gone. He actually gained 2.5 strokes off the tee last week and lost almost four strokes putting in two rounds. If you can figure the putter out a little bit, which is you know, asking a lot. Although over the past two years, he is a positive on Bermuda Green's putting. He's not the same Sergio. The irons just haven't been there for him, but he's always been a more mid to long range wedge player or iron player rather than a wedge player, which is what you really needed to be last week at Colonial. Not so much this week at Harbor Town. I don't think anyone's going to use Sergio. He's coming at a really nice price. You don't need a lot of him. If you play 10 lineups, you use him in two, you're massively overweight to the field. Wouldn't be throwing Sergio anywhere near a cash game line 
lineup. But I think he is someone with substantial upside. Um, if he continues, to, if he can get his irons just back on track a little, continues to drive the ball as well as he has been, get some luck on the greens, and all of a sudden, Sergio is looking pretty good in your lineups. The other guys down there, Hadwin, just going to continue to roll Hadwin. I think he's a good player. And he's going to be mic'd up. It's going to be fun when he like has a complete meltdown uh, and you get to listen to him live on PGA Radio or whatever stream that you're watching. You're going to get a lot of Hadwin on TV if he's one of the few guys that's mic'd up. They really want to press this issue. So if you just want to invest some money into someone you can watch, Adam Hadwin can be your guy at 7,300. The other two. I've been really looking into two guys in particular. I mean, Luke List, obviously, $7,200, coming off a win on the Corn Ferry Tour. How could I not with Luke List? I'm a sucker for punishment. But the two guys I'm actually looking at here, uh, I'm going to be playing Luke List, don't get me wrong. But at $7,200, one is Graham McDowell, a previous winner here. And the other one is our guy from South Africa, Christian Bizenglut, that guy, uh, who did us pretty nice, to be perfectly honest with you, when it came down to API. Ended up in a tie for 18th in that very windy final round where he did not play well. So these two guys share very similar types of skill sets. They can't drive the ball for shit. Like, it's really bad. Although, Graham did gain off the tee for the first time in ages. Last week at Charles Schwab, actually played really well with the irons, lost a ton of strokes putting. We know if you're ever going to use Graham McDowell, it has to be on a coastal course. Whereas he won in the past? Well, Pebble Beach on the coast. Uh, Mayakoba, coastal course. He's won at Harbortown, coastal course. So, whenever you can get shorter courses on Bermuda, preferably on the coast, Graham McDowell, usually a good player. People might be off of because they see the missed cut last week and don't chalk that completely up to putting. Bermuda is his surface, so we'll go with him. Now, Bezinichrit, I'm going to learn how to... I'm not going to officially pronounce his name until he earns a top 10 on the PGA Tour. How about that Christian from South Africa? But the approach, scorching. Three last week, 2.8 at API, 3.9 at WGC Mexico, has gained in putting each of those weeks. The last time we were on Bermuda at API, gained almost four strokes putting. Guy can't drive the ball. But because of those forced layups this week, as long as you're not in the middle of the trees, all of a sudden, driving doesn't matter as much. Or you can get away with not being Bryson off the tee like you couldn't last week, that the shorter hitters and the less accurate hitters are going to have a little bit more leeway. I think that if there's any gap that's mitigated the most between this week and last week, it's going to be the impact of driving the ball, especially a long way. Now, if he bleeds three strokes off the tee, he's not going to win. He's probably not even going to make the cut. These irons have been very encouraging. The putting is very encouraging that if he can keep up this iron play on a shorter course like this, I don't mind taking the gamble on him at $7,200. And again, this is not a guy you need a ton of in your lineup. You don't need to rely on him, but if he spikes, it's going to look pretty good if the guy's the top that you have hit if you want to interchange some of these guys rick gaiman always talks about doing the cascading effect when building your lineups i really like that strategy of course it doesn't always work out most people lose than win the majority of people lose rather than win but if you can give yourself a style and a script to follow and how you construct your lineups you're going to be a lot better because of it so if your core hits at the top let's say my core is m Webb, Woodland, and Thomas. If those guys all make the cut and play well, then I don't need every single one of McDowell or Ann or Bezenut or Shane Lowry to all make the cut. 
I would love if they all made the cut, and I would love if they all play well. Hell, if one of these idiots can win at low ownership, then I'm really dancing if those other guys play well. But you can mix and match once you get to the bottom of that pyramid a little bit with some of the lower-owned guys at the cheaper prices. If you want to add to your player pool, this is likely the spot to do it in. So McDowell, Bezenhut, Luke List, uh, along with Sergio for me at $7,300 and below. Other than that, I do like Maverick McNeely. And Russell Henley is a really interesting one. So he skipped the Charles Schwab last week. And you go back and look at where Russell Henley's played the best in his career. He's won at Sony. He's won at Honda. Two short Bermuda tracks, much like this one. He's had an inconsistent history so far at Harbor Town. But when you look at him and look how he played going into the break, he had missed five consecutive cuts before getting to the Genesis, of course, which should not have set him up well at all. He gained 3.7 strokes on approach that week and almost five around the greens. Now, the five around the greens, that's not going to replicate itself. But... The Irons the next week at Honda when he came inside the top 10, over 10 strokes on approach. And apparently he skipped the Charles Schwab last week because he's been on Hilton Head Island playing Harbortown. I don't know how much I'm going to lean into that, but I think as the setup goes, historically speaking, where Henley has played well in the past, this course sets up well for him. If he's going to continue riding his irons, we don't know after a three-month break if that's going to continue or not. But, hell, if he can gain five strokes with his irons, just cut that in half from the Honda, he's going to be looking pretty good. Putts better on Bermuda as well. I think at $7,100, that is a very interesting interesting price. I've added him to my outright betting card as well at 140 to 1 with a top six each way, and I'm going to play him as first-round leader at 110 to 1. I'll have my full betting card on Wednesday's show and we assess everything, but he really he's really became someone who jumped out to me after doing more research following Monday's show. Uh, Matt McNeely, just he's like you know this homeless version of Spieth, except he gains with his irons and continues to putt well. I don't see why this would be somewhere different. Again, he's another player who doesn't really gain a bunch off the tee, but if that's something, if I'm going to go with the narrative that it's going to be a mitigated factor this week. All of a sudden, then I'm going to have to like Mav McNeely coming in at $7,100. Build my bottom core of these guys. If I wanted to make Henley and McNeely my least expensive players, I might be okay with that. But that doesn't mean that we're going to not talk about the guys in the $6,000 range because there are some that pop out. Because Ben's not here and he's not on the line, I'm going to do the Ben Raza weekly memorial pick and take Emiliano Grillo at $6,800. Maybe this is the week he doesn't lose 20 strokes putting. Maybe, probably will be, but I'm going to be a glutton for punishment on this one. $6,800. The ball striking is just immaculate. Grillo is a fine player. Eventually, he's going to figure it out on the greens. I want to be there the week that he figures it out. I'm not going to overinvest in him, obviously, but at $6,800, I think he has the highest scoring upside of a lot of these guys down in this range. Vaughn Taylor at $6,700 is just a player who's just been very consistent this course sets up well for him i'll probably go fade on taylor but i do not mind him as a pick sam burns mr bermuda grass himself sixty six hundred dollars i'll be rolling the dice on him he always gets it rolling he's a big driver off the tee so hopefully he can dial that back a little bit get the irons to catch up and the other one from way down here actually i'm gonna be playing uh, matthew naismith local guy uh inventor of basketball that always goes a long way sixty six hundred bucks uh very minimal shares of these 6k guys though but matthew naismith is another one that I do like. And then Cameron Tringali is back in action. He's been riding hot irons coming in. It does look like he's going to garner a lot of ownership. I haven't quite decided what I want to do with him yet. I might just bet him first round later, maybe play him first day showdown, something like that, and move along my way. 
but Tringali does really stick out to me. And as I mentioned on Monday's show, Bill Haas, king of ball striking from last week, couldn't make a putt to save his life, uh, has played well at Heritage. I, I don't know what's going on with this putter because him like losing a ton of strokes has been kind of the norm recently. But he's $6,000. He makes a lot of lineups work. Uh, out of all the guys down there, maybe you want to go with David Hearn, an RBC guy, short hitter, good with irons, can make a few putts. Ganejan, so holds a place in my heart, uh, has also had decent results in the past at Harbortown. He and Haas are both $6,000. If you wanted to build a superstars and scrubs lineup and you needed someone from the very bottom to chuck in, I'll probably play two of 20 lineups with Bill Haas. Another Ben Raza guy. Ben really should have been on the show. I think the equipment was telling me, don't talk to Ben because he's going to talk you into these guys and I end up fucking talking myself into him anyway. So with ben, with Bill Haas, I'll probably end up going with him. Just trying to scan here to look at the other very, very low options. I really do think that Haas and Hearn are probably your best bets. It's really funny with Denny McCarthy. I, I wish that he could ball strike just a little. Last week, he made the cut at Charles Schwab because he gained strokes putting every single week. Lost almost four off the tee, almost lost five on approach. Like, if you can get the Denny McCarthy week right, almost like he's like the anti-Grio, except Grio always gains strokes ball, ball striking and sometimes gains strokes on the green. Very rarely, but sometimes it's actually happened in the past. McCarthy, it's sort of the opposite, except he never gains strokes ball striking. Somehow, if he flips a switch and figures out how to hit a, you know, a six iron this week, maybe he could do something. For his price point, it's not so bad because it's only 6200 bucks. You don't need a ton from him. Kyle Stanley is another one who's down there, who he knows a short hit can be very good with the irons. It's been very bad recently. We did not see him last week. He's $6,200. Sam Ryder is just someone who can ride hot irons from time to time. He's $6,100. I'm not playing these guys, but I think you can make a case for them. Tyler Duncan won RSM uh, back in the fall. He's $6,400. Like That could be somewhat intriguing. He was 38th last week at the Charles Schwab. Gained over four strokes on approach. Gained around the green. Gained putting. Lost a bunch off the tee, but hopefully he can swing that back the other way and start hitting a few fairways again keep those irons up duncan's actually an intriguing option at sixty four hundred dollars with the crossover success that he's had at corollary courses and the fact that he was able to strike his iron so well last week that's a player i could actually see myself using at sixty four hundred dollars if i really wanted to jam in a lot of the very top end guys Aaron Wise is back for the first time this week. Uh, I'm just going to pull up my model from Fantasy National just to see if anyone is you know, getting spit out in a big, big way um, and over the past 50 rounds. If I just sort by my rank, actually, I'll sort by salary to see if anyone pops up in the green from the very bottom. Kyle Stanley is actually, let's see, Carlos Ortiz, 29th over the past 50 rounds. Adam Long, 42nd. Uh, Kyle Stanley, 44th. Those appear to be the best guys. Oh, Cameron Tringali, 22nd, uh, below $6,500 who pop up in the modeling. If we go up a little bit, Eric Van Royen in a very limited sample is 18th. Munoz is 21st. I don't know what's happened with Munoz since this break. His good mo has probably come to an end. Knox and Ryan Moore, 30th and 37th over the past 50 rounds. And, oh, yeah, Bud Colley. Now we're back into the $7,000 area. Where does Grio pop up in all of this? I'm curious to see. Just let me tap in his name here. 41st. Third in approach over the past 50 rounds. Fifth in ball striking. Tenth in good drives gained. 152nd of 154 players in putting. Can only, I guess, with only 152 players in this field, I guess there is a way that he could potentially go down over that time frame. But, hey, maybe nowhere to go up 
from here. He is 11th in greens and regulation. If I shorten that sample to pass 24 rounds, and I'm really, I'm really struggling with the proper timeline to deal with because of this break is I always wanted to weigh a long-term versus short-term and to see how this goes. Maybe Creo improves a little, little bit if we do this over the course of the past 24 rounds. Also, if you go on to Fantasy National, again, slash Mayo gets you 20% off, or code Mayo in the where did you hear about this section gives you 20% off all membership options. Uh, you can sort by Pete Dye courses where you'll see my guys say, woo, Kim end up popping up. I will be betting Siwoo at 225 to 1. I will not be letting him ruin my DraftKings lineup. I'll, I'll bask in the glory of Siwoo if he somehow comes through at another Pete Dye course. Last time we saw him at a Pete Dye course, he was scorching first round of the Players' Championship before that ended up getting canceled. But uh, I, I just can't do it with him in my lineups. I've had it happen too many times. I'll take the first round leader. I'll take the outright and uh, hopefully be on my way after that. Over the past 24 rounds, yeah, it's all the same in terms of Emiliano Grillo, in terms of being like the worst putter in the history of the world. Like, you think like on is bad on the greens? Like, Grillo is just abysmal. Uh, you were hoping last week that maybe he could get something rolling on Bentgrass. Nope, lost 6.4 strokes in two rounds. However, in those two rounds, Ball striking-wise, almost five strokes gained. So it was nice to see him get back off the snide in terms of ball striking. Had a really bad Honda, hit the ball into the water a few times, uh, at least without so much water around. He was able to get back on track for what he does well. If you're going to continue to gain so many strokes ball striking, we've seen this with Connors, we've seen this with On. as long as you just don't go nuclear on the greens in the bad way, blow yourself up, don't three-putt 84 times. Then all of a sudden you can get yourself to the weekend and in terms of DraftKings score and while you might trade birdies with bogeys and it's you know not good for the leaderboard, at least in terms of DraftKings scoring, you can get those extra points out of it. He is a high-end birdie maker. So Griot is one that I will be going with. I apologize again for not having a guest on. I will be doing my chat solo again, but I'll be bouncing off your questions. 12 p.m. Eastern time. Wednesday afternoon. Like the episode, please. That helps keep our interactions up. Tell me your favorite sleeper for this tournament, too. I'm not doing the giveaways on the YouTube channel anymore. There's been a complication with DraftKings going public that I can't just, they can't just gift people uh, DraftKings dollars anymore. But I do hope to have Millionaire Maker tickets to give away on DraftKings Twitter and my Twitter. So pay attention to that if you're not following me on Twitter. Could be a good way to get into that draw. But I do recommend, I think it's actually good crowdsourcing, too. Like we're all helping helping each other out here if we all end up on the same sleeper chances are that guy's not going to be very good so like the smash the like button leave your favorite sleeper uh, and their price point in the comment section and please leave a five-star review for the pat mayo experience uh, audio podcast just rate as long as you're there if you just scroll to the bottom like on your apple podcast even if you don't want to write anything in just click the button that says five stars those go a tremendously long way to help the show keep moving up on the itunes charts currently Pat Mayo Experience is the only non-full-time football show inside the top 30 of all fantasy sports podcasts. And we're trending up towards number one. we got to knock the footballers off that per- poor perch. Oh, I'm getting dry mouth here from not having a glass of water and talking for 45 straight minutes. But if we can get up there, that would be greatly appreciated. So that's where the reviews, that's where the ratings all come into handy. And share the show around, please, if you can. I hope you enjoyed the solos. Uh, I hope this isn't going to be a running thing moving forward. I hope I can get out my guest issues. 
uh, as long as people are in studio, that's going to be fine. So Jeff is no worry. We got the MMA show with Cody Saftik and Paul Shaughnessy. Cody is hopefully going to be back in the studio this week. So we'll have that for you. If you lost all your money playing DraftKings golf, you can win all your money back playing DraftKings UFC. And we might even have the best movie bracket of the 90s going Friday and Saturday with Cust and Adam Rank. We've had those in the can for a while. So hopefully we can release those. Good luck. This week, play in the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Open. Become a member of FantasyNational.com and go check out the promotions page for that Justin Thomas giveaway for extra tickets if you play in the Millionaire Maker. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you for watching. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo Experience! Experience!